Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Faith Ryan. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. Artificial intelligence has great promise in healthcare for applications that use complex algorithms to analyze medical data. At the National Institutes of Health, Principal Deputy Director Lawrence Tabak is actively thinking about the technology. He co-leads an artificial intelligence working group at the agency to maximize the potential of existing data and to support precision biomedicine and research. We spoke to him about his perspective on using the advanced technology in the health space. Hi, Dr. Lawrence Tabak. So just to get things started, uh, could you please describe your current role at NIH? So I'm what's called the principal deputy director. And I like to tell everybody that that means that I do all the things that the NIH director can't do. And as the ethics counselor, I get to tell everybody else that they can't do what they do want to. So that, that's basically my job description. Cool. So what got you interested in your current work? You were a dentist before coming to NIH? Uh, I plead guilty to that. Uh, it's true. I treated my last patient in 1986, and the world is a better place for it. So uh, <laughs> mo- place. mostly I have uh, you know, been involved in basic research uh, throughout my career. Started my career in a school of dentistry, was recruited to a school of medicine, um, had the luck of becoming their research dean, and then was recruited to NIH to run the Dental Institute. So I went from being a dentist to somebody at a medical school to back to being a dentist again, which was great to give back to my profession of dentistry. And then about 10 years ago, Dr. Collins asked me to join his team as the principal deputy, and here I am. Cool. So a stroke of luck. How did the NIH Advisory Committee to the Director on AI come about? So Dr. Collins, the NIH director, uses his advisory committee in a variety of ways, particularly when there is a important set of new opportunities. And so what he likes to do is he likes to gather experts from around the country to provide advice. And the way it works is they actually provide advice to the advisory committee to the director, who in turn gives him the advice. Um, but, and so it came about because of uh, Dr. Collins' uh, intense interest in how artificial intelligence and machine learning can be used to uh, enhance the way that we conduct biomedical research. And so we formed this working group, and we have been deliberating for almost the past year. Oh, awesome. So what are the working group's main goals, and why are they particularly important for NIH? So... The goals really were to bring an expertise in the field of artificial intelligence to NIH to consider how, as an agency, we can take better advantage of, you know, these remarkable uh, new approaches. So with the exception of myself, everybody on the committee is an expert in artificial intelligence. I'm sort of the... uh, outlier uh, for sure. But, and what you find is, is we have a circumstance where we have people who are experts in biomedical research, and we have people who are experts in machine learning and artificial intelligence, but the two speak very different languages. And what the working group will reveal uh, this, uh, later this week is the need to create what they term multilingual investigators, a new a type of investigator, uh, somebody who is, is schooled in, in both disciplines. Now, absent that, to 
create projects in a way that allow both disciplines to work together from the very inception of the project. Too often what we do now is the biomedical researcher does his or her thing and then at the end calls in somebody who is expert in computational science to apply, you know, some magic. And that's not the optimal way to do it. Really having both expertise from the very, very beginning is what makes the real magic happen. And so uh, I think having that perspective from people who, uh, you know, are world leaders in artificial intelligence and machine learning is really going to serve the agency very, very well. So how do you think that vetting process will play out to find someone who's both informed in biomedical research and computational or computer science. Right. So they're real unicorns, and there are tremendous pressures for people like that to accept, you know, much higher uh, remuneration uh, than the federal government can can offer. Young people coming right out of, you know, good computational programs can command, you know, very, very high salaries. We're going to have to grow our own. And so we have a series of fellowship programs where we're bringing folks who are interested in learning about biomedical research who already have the background in machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we entice them not with big bucks, but what we entice them with is big data. We have extraordinary amounts of data here. And they can compute on that data for a very, very important reason, for the good of the public health. And so if you take the opportunity to compute on extraordinarily large data sets and to do good. That's a powerful combination. And so we've already had some good success this past summer in bringing young people with that mindset, and we hope to expand that program in the future. Basically, we've got to grow our own. So what are the biggest challenges associated with the biomedical data used for AI? And again, I have learned this uh, from my committee. I would not have known this going in. Uh, so one of the things uh, that, that I learned is that very few biomedical data sets are conceived of and developed with machine learning in mind. There are certain standards, there are certain attributes that one must follow in order to make those data sets usable. And so by prior planning and by sketching out what you need ahead of time, you will wind up with a data set that is much more valuable in the long run. The other thing about data sets that's really important when you're contemplating using them for uh, various forms of artificial intelligence is to make sure that the data set is representative. Because if you collect, for example, data only from people who are white, and then attempt to apply it for people who are black, uh, you may find some unintended consequence. The algorithms may not work properly. Right. And so uh, when you are creating your data sets and when you are determining that you want to compute on them, uh, you have a, a really a, a high ethical obligation to ensure that those data sets are representative of the whole country, of the whole group of individuals that you're hoping to help. Otherwise, you know, you come into consequences that you hadn't, uh, you know, thought about. So what are some real use applications of artificial intelligence in biomedical research? Well, we're just scratching the surface. So any kind of uh, pattern analysis, 
is greatly benefited by the use of an automated machine learning approach. And of course, when you're comparing uh, genomes, the blueprint of life from person to person or species to species or disease state to healthy state, uh, pattern recognition, of course, is crucially important. And the pattern is not just simply linear. There's also sort of a three or four dimensional context to it. And machine learning can do that for you. The other enormous uh, opportunity for, for these approaches is with image analysis. And so we tease people, if your child wants to become a radiologist, make sure they have a great background in computer science, because more and more radiology and imaging in general is being enhanced dramatically through the use of uh, machine learning uh, algorithms. And so those are two of the things that come right to mind, but it goes well, well beyond that. So for example, there are some individuals who are able to take advantage of electromagnetic waves in, say, your household, and through the various algorithms that they've developed, they can assess whether or not the individual who lives in the house has a normal gait, or if, meaning how they walk, or if that has been impaired, or if they have fallen, or if they have not accessed their refrigerator, and so forth. So you, you could envision a circumstance where you could uh, monitor the health of, say, an infirmed individual you know, long distance uh, using these kinds of technologies. So it's everything from very, very basic fundamental science genomes all the way to you know, helping to monitor the health and well-being of, of an individual in your household. Cool. Uh, so your research focus is on the structure, biosynthesis, and function of glycoproteins? That's true. Do you see AI helping with that? Well, so in fact, it already is. Uh, one of the challenges that we have is deciding what protein gets lucky enough to become decorated with sugar. And so you can do it the old-fashioned way, and you can look at me and know that I'm old-fashioned, and you just run enzyme assays, and you can, oh, yeah, that one is glycosylated, and that one is. But it would be much better if we had predictors to understand of the, all the proteins, all 28,000 or so of them, which ones will become decorated with sugar and where. Artificial intelligence, um, particularly neural nets, are being used uh, to help us sort that out computationally. And interestingly enough, uh, when you challenge those predictions that are being made computationally with actual assay, those predictions are very, very good. So it's already uh, reaping some great dividends for our little field of science. Awesome. So what are the major ethical considerations the group has deemed are most important when dealing with artificial intelligence for health-related research? Well, again, you know, the fundamental principle is do no harm. And so you need to ensure that whatever approach you take, you're not introducing some unexpected uh, negative consequence. As I mentioned earlier, the data sets uh, need to be robust. They need to be representative. They need to um, ensure that you are capturing the full range of the population uh, to be most, most useful. You know, we have uh, situations where uh, algorithms are being developed, but for proprietary reasons, uh, how they work may not be 
uh, revealed. There, there is a lack of transparency sometimes. And that, too, uh, is something that may not be the best way of approaching this in the medical field because, again, you want to make sure that you can be transparent, you can troubleshoot, you can make sure that uh, what the so-called black box, if you will, is, is telling you is, in fact, accurate. And w- without all the detail, without the transparency, it's often difficult to ascertain that. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand that there is this right to explain what the data is in terms of uh, what the artificial intelligence algorithms are producing. No, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, data in, what comes out, has to be put into that sort of framework. And if the algorithm is somehow skewing things in one direction or another, and if you don't understand what the potential biases are, you could run into trouble. So that's exactly right. So how is NIH encouraging or preparing the next generation of computer scientists and biomedical researchers? Well, so again, it's that intersection that that we're pretty concerned about. We have very robust approaches to support biomedical researchers, and there's lots of support to create computer scientists. What we want to do is we want to create this hybrid, this so-called multilingual person. And the working group uh, will, uh, in fact, recommend some potential approaches and will also recommend the development of curricula to incentivize and enhance the ability to achieve this. Of course, you have to start pretty early in somebody's career. If you wait until graduate school, that's not optimal. And so we are thinking in terms of, you know, the intervention starting as early as high school to uh, encourage young people how wonderful math is and how it can be married with biology. The two together are very, very powerful. So going back to data, there's an exponential growth in bioscience data production that is doubling every 10 months. What are your thoughts? Are, is there enough data or is there not enough data? So that's a really good question. To machine learning experts, there can never be enough data because the more data they have to teach their algorithm, the better the algorithm ultimately um, becomes. In fact, there's a school of thought that says just give the algorithm the raw data and don't have any human intervention. Don't insert human biases, which ultimately, at least in some tests that I've seen, results in a better algorithm in the end. It's not the volume of data. It's how the data are collected, how the data are annotated, how the data, the so-called metadata, describing the parameters upon which the data were were corrected, describing the variance, describing some of the shortcomings, describing what the data really mean. All of that sometimes is neglected in pursuit of the single question. People who want very strong data sets want to be able to go back and recompute on data in different ways. And they want to recompute again and again and again and again. So the, the more robust you are able to create the data set, the more valuable it becomes. And it becomes, in the best world, it becomes sort of an iterative cycle. It, it allows your algorithm to learn. That's scary to some people, but that's the very best way to do it, apparently. Uh, where do you see the use of artificial intelligence in research NIH in 
the next five years and beyond? Beyond's a long time. But I think there is an ever-growing uptake of the use of these strategies. I think what we will be able to do over the next five years is to entice young people to come into the biomedical field because we can give them all the data they want and the data value has a direct influence on people's lives, on their ability to remain healthy, on the ability to reduce disease and, you know, and so forth. And so I think that's where we're going to see the biggest initial impact as we have an influx of people who are expert in computational science who get jazzed about biology and biological problems. Getting a hold of the reins of big data to develop effective AI isn't just something TABAC and NIH are trying to tackle. The Department of Veterans Affairs and Defense Health Agency are developing a new joint electronic health record, which will, for the first time, provide a data set that tracks members of the military from the day they enlist through their time receiving veterans' benefits. Applying AI and machine learning here will make it possible to identify and implement healthcare improvements. Leveraging AI could optimize prescriptions to conduct predictive analytics to identify ailments or those at risk for suicide and other mental illnesses preemptively. Bringing these capabilities to the point of care, just as Tabak noted, can improve processes in healthcare for both providers and patients. Commander Alex Holston, Defense Healthcare Management Systems Chief Medical Informatics Officer, has told us this before. Let's let our pathologists spend a little bit less time screening slides by having imaging that can highlight where they think cancer might be on the slides so they can spend more time talking to the provider. Let's automate some of the processes, which traditionally we don't think of artificial intelligence doing for us. Just as Tabak emphasized developing representative and trustworthy AI, DHA and the VA are also focused on AI development in the same way. The Defense Department just announced on February 24th its official AI ethics principles, which underscore having responsible, equitable, traceable, reliable, and governable AI. They were developed by the Defense Innovation Board after over a year of consulting with AI experts across industry, government, and academia. Meanwhile, VA AI Director Gil Alterovit said that the VA has made strides in investing in trustworthy AI to get ahead in developing automated solutions with little to no biases. We're seeing several different application areas in the VA. So uh, one of the ones that we're investing is a uh, um, trustworthy AI. So AI that you can uh, make sure that um, you can trust in terms of not having biases, uh, one that can be useful in terms of explaining uh, the data so you can explain the results of the model to the patient, to the physician. Having appointed its first ever director of artificial intelligence in July 2019, Alta Roberts, the VA followed up by founding the National Artificial Intelligence Institute in December. This represents a significant advance in the agency's health research capacities, as well as a clear effort to employ the VA's wealth of medical data. The VA has centered its AI efforts on leveraging its genomic and patient information, enabling the agency to directly address health conditions that affect America's veterans. The VA's AI research is geared toward both disease prevention and treatment, as well as areas of care that have traditionally fallen under public health. One of its earliest AI successes was an initiative to predict acute kidney injury and treat the antecedent conditions before they become life-threatening. 
This focus on developing predictive analytic extends to the VA's efforts in the areas of mental health and addiction treatment. Agency leaders have begun examining how to apply patient data toward highlighting veterans most at risk of substance abuse or self-harm, and are designing initiatives to proactively reach out to patients most in need of counseling. Many of these AI projects tie to other programs within the VA's greater modernization push, particularly data integration and continuity of care. The digitization of patient records, as well as the transference of patient records from their time in the armed forces, are conducive to a system of predictive analytics designed to highlight which veterans have undergone events that necessitate trauma counseling. These initiatives have included collaboration with the private sector. The agency's pivotal work on preventing acute kidney injury was accomplished through a collaboration between Veterans Affairs and Google DeepMind, for example. Similarly, the VA is overseeing a program of collaborative tech sprints designed to bring together researchers from the government, academia, and private sector to apply curated datasets towards various AI solutions. This has resulted in a newfound era of data sharing, with the VA continuing to develop AI-tailored datasets with their industry partners. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.